What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We're going to be joined by three-time Super Bowl champ James White in just a little bit. That's part of our FanDuel TV show, The Local Angle, which airs every Monday at 9 o'clock. So we'll get into another ugly loss for the Patriots with James in just a second. I also want to get into the Celtics. And I got asked a question about Tatum on Saturday. Is he the best player in the NBA? So I want to get into that. I'm not crazy. I don't think he is. But I do think he holds the title of one specific thing in the NBA. We'll get to that in a little bit. Coming up next, though, you'll hear from three-time Super Bowl champ James White. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us now, as he does after every Patriots game, it is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. Well, James, another game for the Patriots, another disappointing loss, another final drive that comes up short. It ends up at a turnover for this Patriots team. And it just felt like today, the biggest thing is just too many mistakes. The offense couldn't get going. The defense couldn't get off the field on third down. They were 9 of 17 on third down. Sam Howell's running for 23 yards through guys out there looking like a running back. So that, to me, was one of the biggest issues they had defensively. But offensively, they they never really felt right in this game at any point. They had the nice drive after the turnover. But other than that, they just couldn't string possessions together. And I don't know if you felt this, James. I don't understand... Why Jalen Rager's out there, okay? This guy had (laughs) one catch on six targets. That's 1.8 yards per target. Philly said he stinks. They didn't want him. Minnesota said he stinks. They didn't want him. Then you're playing Tyquan Thornton, who had, what, one catch on four targets, seven yards, so 1.8 yards per target. He wasn't good. And this team, the reality is we all know they're not going to the playoffs. They're not very good right now. And you have Kayshawn Booty, who Bill said earlier in this week, he may be, he had his best week of practice. Why don't you just play the young guys? To me, at this point, I don't want to see Rager. Everybody that's watched the NFL knows that Rager's not good. I don't want to see Tyquan Thornton right now. He's been disappointing. How about this, James? You realize George Pickens, who went two picks after Tyquan Thornton, 
He has over a thousand more yards than Tyquan Thornton. These guys have been in the league for a year and a half, and he has a thousand more yards in him. So at least Kayshawn Booty, there's hope. I need to be entertained at this point, James, watching the Patriots. Get Kayshawn Booty out there. I don't need to see Rager. He he dropped tough. the best ball Mac threw all day. Yeah, it was tough, man. Uh, I don't really understand why he was out there. Why Juju's not out there more consistently? I'm very confused at that whole situation. Why Rager's starting and Juju's just over there watching? And then the the final drive, Juju's you know making catches. I know he had the drop at the end, but the receiver rotation's been all over the place. It was when I was watching the game early on, I was like, okay, they're just gonna roll with. You know, some of the younger guys see what they're all about. You know, Devontae inactive, Juju, you know, he's been whatever, hurt, inactive some weeks. So I just thought they were trying to evaluate the young guys. I know Rager got there a few weeks ago. I know he has the speed, but it just hasn't shown up in game on any team that he's played on. And maybe they're just trying to see what they could possibly get out of him. And he hasn't done much these last few weeks. I know he had like one slant or something a few weeks ago, but other than that, just been decoy Leroy out there. He's just out there running around. So, 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 but yes, the offense was it was real lethargic, especially early on when they when they went up ten zero. Just looked like they were about to get routed. Then Tavai had the strip sack, and then things started to get going a little bit. They had a good drive, good ball to Hunter, but it's just more of the same. You know, had a few big plays. Ramondre had his big run. That so that was his best run all year. But it was. It was good to see that from him. And they finally started getting him going in the passing game, too. He was getting isolation on, you know, on linebackers. He made some big plays there. So some more of that will definitely be helpful with the injuries at the receiver position. Well, yeah. And the thing to me about Ramondre, because I tweeted out during the game, 2022 Ramondre has shown up. Like, he looked outstanding right off the bat in this game. And then I look up, and there's four, I wrote this down, four minutes and 39 seconds left in the third quarter. Ramondre has six carries at that point and one reception, okay? And then on that third and three, Zeke's out on the field and not Ramondre Stevenson. And we know, I'm not saying that Ramondre is you or Danny Woodhead or Shane Vereen as a pass catching back, but he's better than Zeke. And I think he proved that last year. He's got pretty good hands. So my whole thing is he has nine carries for 87 yards. I know a lot came on the big play, but that's because he's Ramondre. Ramondre can (laughs) take it to the house, right? Like Zeke doesn't have that. So He looked totally engaged, not to say that he hasn't been engaged previously, but he was on one today. I felt like he was outstanding. So why in this game is he getting, what, nine carries for the game and Zeke's getting seven? I don't understand why they have to, when he's playing well, just ride the hot hand. I don't understand why they're alternating snaps with him and Zeke. Zeke is not part of the next great Patriots team, however far away that is. He's certainly not, right? I mean, he's going to be on a different team next year. You might as well at least let Ramondre get more touches. I don't understand this. He was... By far, unequivocally, the best offensive player for the Patriots last year. And look, some of it himself, he has slipped naturally. We've seen it. He hasn't been the same guy. But today, he looked like the best version of himself. I don't understand why they don't keep feeding him. The other thing is, with Bill O'Brien, I get speeding it up a little bit, the tempo. But they're under 23 minutes in terms of their time of possession today. It felt like everything was too fast. And the Patriots were not executing that way anyway. So at what point do you realize... Hey, you know what, Bill? This isn't working. Why don't you stop trying to play with all this tempo because it's not working? You know what you should do? It's it's it was basically the game was close the entire game. It, no team, no none of the not one side got away from the other. You know what you should do? Give the ball to Ramondre Stevenson. That's what you should do, and they refused to do it. I don't understand it. Yeah, Ramondre was his best game today. He was involved in run game, pass game, 
You saw the explosiveness. You saw him making guys miss. And yeah, when he's in a groove like that, they have to feed him, especially with the injuries at the receiver position, you know, receivers struggling to create separation, whatever it is, the, you know, the pass game just being really off target. You know, ride that guy. He's he can be that. And when he's when he's going, he's a guy who could give, you know, 20, 25, 30 touches a game. And he can, you know, help that offense take some pressure off. Mac take some pressure off the offensive line. I believe early on in the year. You know, I think he lost a lot of confidence because the offensive line wasn't creating, you know, holes for him. And it's hard as a running back. You can't you can't do much if your offensive line isn't blocking. So I feel like he probably lost some of that confidence, that wiggle to be able to break tackles when he did get those one-on-one situations with linebackers and secondary defenders. But now, these past couple of weeks, he's been getting in more of a groove. Today, you can see it early on in the game. They got him involved in the passing game. Then he broke off the run. So, I mean, when he's playing like that, I understand, like you said, the rotation between him and Zeke. but when he's when he's in a zone, you gotta feed that type of guy, especially when your offense is you know trying to find anything to get a spark. But guys, I say when on isolation routes against linebackers consistently, that creates a big run. That guy should be the feature guy probably for the rest of the game. But it's it's, it's probably hard for you know, Bill O'Brien. He's just trying to figure out any type of way to you know get some some life into this offense. But what I did like what I saw from Mac after those first couple possessions, he. He was yelling. He was he's trying to like like wake up up and all that stuff, which we haven't seen that, you know, all year long. It's probably kind of late for that right now. And I'm sure he didn't want to do that earlier on in the year because he had the turnovers and he wasn't performing well. So it's kind of hard to want to say that and everybody looking at you like, like, what do you mean? Let's wake up. You you see how you're going out there performing? But I, I love seeing that from him and the people start to kind of wake up after that. I mean, then <laughs> kind of the fire, the flame went out a little bit shortly after that. They didn't do too much in the second half, but it's it's tough. I thought the defense thought they did a decent job of. I mean, Sam Howell they couldn't get off the field on third down. That was that was the key thing. They created a lot of third and long situations. It was Sam Howell scrambling, or it was Jahan Dotson getting free, or Terry McLaurin, which that's a tough matchup for you know any DB across the league. Yeah, they. They won in situational football for the most part, aside from you know before halftime when Sam Howell threw that. I don't know why in the world he threw that pass. Oh. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what he was looking at, but that that was a big play by Duggar. And then obviously, you know, kind of a handoff in that, in that situation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. It was just basically like a sprint out to his right. <laughs> Nobody was open. There was three Patriots in, yeah. in the end zone. I have no idea what he was thinking. I do give that guy credit though. He's like not phased at all. Yeah, he's he, got he's got a good arm too. Like he's got a strong arm. He can really sling it in. I give him credit, man. He just bounces back. Like that was that interception was brutal. And yeah. going back to your point about Ramondre, I think about it too. Like okay, you willingly decided not to give him the football, right, and not play him significantly more than Zeke. And I think to like say this is Joe Mazzulla and the Celtics playing the Nets on Saturday night, and like. Cam Thomas kept getting switched on Tatum, and Tatum just abused him, right? Like, Cam Thomas, he, he's a DH. He doesn't play defense anyway, but you got a guy that's, you know, 6'9", trying to, you got, you're trying to cover 6'9", Jason Tatum. It'd be like if Joe Mazzulla is like, hey, you know what? I think we should get Pritchard some touches here. No, it's like, okay, we're going to keep playing through. Th- yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm not, I'm not comparing Pritchard to Zeke. I mean, that sounds crazy. Zeke's like a great <laughs> running back for a number of years. But you get my point. It's like, hey, if something's working, just keep using what is working, and the Patriots willingly went away from that. The other thing I'll say just in terms of Washington, I do think it's slightly embarrassing for the Patriots that this team 
was, I don't want to say tanking, because I do think the Montez sweat trade, I was talking about this the other day with Joe House, who was on my podcast, the sweat trade was kind of like, well, we're getting a second. Like, we kind of have to do that. That's a lot when we're rebuilding <laughs> yeah, franchise. And we yeah. already have, yeah, we already have Jonathan Allen signed long-term. We have Deron Payne signed long-term. So can we even pay him anyway? And then the Chase Young thing, it just didn't really work out there. But they willingly traded away two pretty good yeah. defensive players. In the case of Sweat, like a really good defensive player. And the Patriots lost to that team. And they couldn't move the ball consistently against that team. I do wonder if, like, that sort of puts salt in the wound even more. Like, obviously, you're mad, you're 2-7 and seven to begin with, but the fact that at least the perception, even if it is, isn't true, like the details I just gave out about Washington, the perception is they tanked and the Patriots lost to that team. Yeah, I mean, I thought Washington would trade one of those guys. I didn't think they would trade both of them, but for them, you capitalize, get some draft picks for both of those guys, when in reality, they probably wouldn't sign either one of them in free agency. Them so smart move by them, they go, and then they go out here and win a football game against a struggling football team. I, I left impressed with, you know, Sam Howell. Like I said, he had the interception, but he stays cool, calm, collected. Like, it's, he was decisive. He, th- he was throwing the ball accurate. You know, he was under duress sometimes. I know we didn't get any sacks today. I think that's a, a miss, missing Judon more and more every week. I mean, guys were – some yeah. plays they were trying to create pressure on him, but just couldn't quite get – well, Dietrich Wise didn't have the sack. I, I did say that. He, him and Duggar were there on that one sack, but – just the pressure just wasn't there. He was through the ball like 43 times. He wasn't under duress. He was cool calling and collecting. I think you got to give the enemy a lot of credit with the development of him. I think he definitely has a bright future in this league if he can keep that up. And also the cornerback, Emmanuel Forbes, no, none of our young <laughs> receivers could get anywhere away from him. He was he was all over those dudes. Taekwon couldn't separate from him. Rager couldn't separate from him on a bunch of third downs. Yeah, it was it was a hard day for that for that receiving core, but it was good to see it was good to see Juju kind of step in there at the end of the game. I don't know why he wasn't in there at the beginning of the game. Step in there, make some plays. Made a was it a third or fourth down where he he had a nice catch and Pop Douglas. He had some big plays in there. I, I didn't see how they could overturn that one call. I, I know it kind of looked like the ball was out a little yeah. bit. But I, don't, I didn't think I didn't think it was clear, but there were some bad penalties at the end of that game too. The, the offsides, I think they what they call that on. Mac Wilson. Oh, Mac Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe if you got better field position in that situation, they were starting to move the ball. If Juju can catch that and find a way to so you never know what could happen. They they've been a lot of these games, just can't (laughs) just can't figure out how to close things out aside from the Buffalo game. Yeah. And my suggestion is next time you play Forbes, put Kayshawn Booty in the game. All right, welcome back into Off the Pike. James, we were just finishing our FanDuel TV show. We are talking about the Kayshaun Booty situation, of course, not playing, and then also the special team stuff. I got to imagine that drives Bill crazy. Yeah, I'm with you on the play. I was, I was kind of surprised. Like, if you're asking me, like, did I think he caught it? I didn't, but I didn't think they'd overturn it, right? Like, I didn't think they had the angles and the view to say it, but they did overturn that. The Mac Wilson play, man, like, that's got to kill Bill because that's like... I mean, I guess by the letter of the law, he was he was offsides, right? Like, so the official made the right call. It's just like that's that type of stuff used to never happen in the Patriots, and even the penalty. Like, I know Schooler was pissed off about it, but there's just like really no need for it, right? And and by the way, like because you got the Mac Wilson penalty, and look, it didn't really matter because the Patriots did put themselves in a position like they were going down the field before the interception. But the point with all that is just the fact that you lost two of your timeouts, right? So you could have yeah. run things differently because you had to take two timeouts because you had to stop 
Washington and stop the clock from running. So unfortunately, they really hurt themselves. And I, I feel like these issues happen all the time now with this team. Yeah, it's been a theme over the last few years. Just penalties, not playing well, playing well on situational football, special teams, and the areas where when you think about Patriot football is usually an area where they succeed at and they really excel at and they force other teams in those mistakes. And right now, we're making those mistakes. And it has to be so much better. <laughs> it has to be so much better. The schooler, schooler play, there's no need for him to try and block that guy in that situation. Just let him go. I know the guy flopped and all that, but just don't put yourself in that situation. The Mac Wilson play, obviously just watch the ball in that situation. You're not going to block the punt. So just be smart in those situations where you're trying to get the ball back to your football team. Give them the, a couple timeouts to use because they definitely need those in those type situations to get you know, the ball in position to go score a touchdown to try and tie the game up, win a football game, whatever it is. Yeah, it's can be it's got and this we all know it's being emphasized in the building. You just kinda wonder why in these crucial situations penalties are happening and, you know, mistakes and, and key errors. It's just it's hard, man. But sometimes when you're losing, I feel like sometimes those things become a little bit more like in the back of your head and not in the forefront of your mind. I think guys' minds can be elsewhere when really they have to be locked in on the moment because, I mean, these games are almost not, – well, I'm not going to say they're meaningless, but every time you step on the field, it's a purpose because everybody's watching the film. Every, all 32 teams are tuned into that, but it's different when you're not out there playing for something. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's It's got to be difficult to get motivated, especially like in a fr- – where a lot of those guys – I mean, not a ton of them, but yeah. – David Andrews is still there from winning Super Bowls, right? Matthew Slater's there from winning Super Bowls. So there's guy Trent Brown, right? Yeah. I mean, he was there when they, and I know he's not playing now because he's dealing with the injury, which is another issue today yeah. in terms of the injuries starting to pile up for this team. But so I want to get to Mac in a second, but I wanted to also get to, it was just, I feel like it's been a weird week. I talked about Kayshawn Booty not playing and Jalen Rager playing, but also at the beginning of the game, and they actually never, I was surprised that they didn't mention it on the Fox broadcast where I, I thought Jonathan Vilma did a good job. I really, I really like him. Like, I think he's, I think he's good, but they never mentioned that JC Jackson and, and um, Jack Jones weren't out there to begin the game, right? Yeah. They eventually came in, but they weren't out there for the first couple of series. Sean Wade's out there. So after the game, like Bill's asked about it and he says, well, all the corners played and it's like, well. Yeah, but like Sean Wade wouldn't be starting. Okay. JC Jackson has played well since he came back here. Jack Jones was your best corner last year as a rookie. So something happened. So it just feels like it's a strange situation right now. Something's going on. And maybe this is just part of losing. Like something's going on. Now, I saw a theory. I don't know if I buy this. Remember, we talked about the play last week, like the broken coverage. Like maybe that was part of it. Like if that factored into it at all. I don't know. I feel like it'd probably be something else. Like were they late to a meeting? Something along those lines. It, it could be something that simple. They were late to a meeting or anything like that. Or it's just evaluation time. I mean, like I said, they're not going to make the playoffs. You want to throw guys out there in different situations that they've never been in where, like I said, you're not playing for anything, but you want to see how they go out there and react. That's why I, it's strange to see Rager out there. Maybe they're trying to evaluate him to see if potentially they want to bring him back for next year. He doesn't capitalize on the opportunity. He probably doesn't start next week. Maybe he's inactive and Kayshawn Booty's in there. So every week, I said, they haven't been in this situation in a while or in a long, long time, you know, before Tom Brady, you know, maybe Bill Belichick's first couple of years here or whatever. 
But yeah, they're trying to evaluate everybody. That's what I kind of get from all of this. There's going to be a lot of different guys being rotated in different positions and things of that nature so they can really see who they truly believe is going to be on the or who they want to be on their roster next year or the potential. A lot of young guys are going to start to see more and more repetitions, I feel like, over these next you know, two months in the, the end of the season. Yeah, that's what makes the whole Keishon Booty thing even more amazing <laughs> yeah, to me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you would think this, is, this is what you should be playing, your young guys. Like, they're doing it with Demario Douglas. They're featuring him, man. He's getting a lot of opportunities. I really like what we've seen with Demario Douglas. But, hey, find out if Keishon Booty can play. We know it's a fact that Jalen Rager can't play. He's got plenty of opportunities in the NFL. I mean, you're not going to be the team that unlocks him, right? We're seeing that actually happening the opposite way. Like, Guys like Jonu Smith are playing better for the team yeah, that they that play, play for now. He, he's back with he's back with his old offensive coordinator, so he's yeah, in a, a very familiar system. Then, like I said, sometimes that's just the way it goes. Sometimes, and he just played really well within. I mean, now he's not like a, a system guy, but you're comfortable there. You know the playbook. I mean, I say he probably feels a little bit more loved over there <laughs> yeah. in, that, in, in that room. And like I say, he, he's balling because he, he's a talented football player. Didn't work out with the Patriots, and that's. It's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. It, do you notice, like, Arthur Smith? I can't tell. He has one of the weirdest, like, game day outfits I've seen. Like, is is it, like, he's got, like, a vest, but I don't know if it's connected to the shirt. Like, I, I don't know. Is it connected? He has, it's he weird. Has, I never really pay attention to it. He just has a weird swag overall, like the mustache. Yeah, he's got the stash. Yeah, he's, it's a little different. I've, I've never really met him in person, but, hey, He's a creative play caller, especially when it comes to the run game and all that. I mean, I give him give him a lot of credit. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always surprised. Like, and look, Ritter wasn't good for them. Now he's hurt. They played what? Who they play? Heineke, Heineke today or something? Like, yeah, <laughs> that team is. I, I was surprised they didn't get involved in like some of the quarterback yeah, they, sweepstakes in the offseason because they have so much talent. Yeah, I, I was surprised at that. I thought they would went after somebody, but you know, they drafted a guy last year. They felt comfortable with him. Probably regretting that at this point in the year because that division says a wide open division. So you would think you would try to go out and get a guy that would, you know, try and help you push you over that hump. But I think next year, obviously, they're going to be in that conversation, whether it's draft or free agency. Yeah, I'm with you. They're going to need a new quarterback. Hey, maybe that's an opportunity for if the Patriots move on from Mac, maybe these things, hey, play action scheme, we can get him in there. But so just on Mac today, so. This commander's defense came in as one of the worst passing defenses in the in the NFL. And as we said, like they got rid of two players up front, too. Yeah. So they had a 102.2 passer rating against Mac had a 66.5 today. They were giving up 12.4 yards per completion, which was 30th. Mac was at 9.2. He was actually worse than he's been on the season. The yards per attempt 5.0. And on the season, they give up 7.9. So Mac's numbers were not good. I don't feel like his receivers helped him out. Certainly. No. The Rager play was bad. Juju, that play where he tips it up, that's an interception. That's not on Mac. But I will say, like in fairness, he also like basically threw an interception of Forbes that Rager broke up. So Rager kind of <laughs> made up for his mistake when Mac made his mistake. But yeah. just some throws that stuck out to me, like, first of all, yeah. yeah, the fourth and three, right, where Mac, he has Thornton misses that one. The next series, though, Thornton just runs like a horrible route. Like, I, I don't know what was going on there. That was, I mean, I'm not wrong on that, right? You would know better than yeah, me. Yeah, it was it was a bad route. It was almost like he was running. He wasn't expecting the ball. Like, he, I don't know. He just seems, like like I said, when you're not playing for anything, and you're just kind of out there, like, going through the motions, I feel like 
that's why Mac, you know, he came to the sideline, whatever, a couple possessions later, like, like wake up. It really seemed like guys were starting to go through the motions, go down 10 zeros. Like, oh, well, here goes another loss, that type of thing. So I feel like people aren't necessarily dialed in. Like they're evaluating you. Like Taekwondo, I know you were a second round pick, but, you don't go out here and perform these next few weeks. Very well, you could be cut next year. We know you're fast. You probably get a another opportunity somewhere else off your speed, but you haven't been out there enough to be out there lollygagging and taking plays off. You should be chomping at the bit and going out here and executing at the highest level, proving your worth. And another throw that the throw to Ramondre, I think that was on a third down on the a wheel route. Yeah. But Mac threw that really late. He had to step on him early, just being a little bit more decisive. But a lot of that probably comes from a young receiving core, probably not as confident in those guys winning situations, probably aside from, you know, Pop Douglas on third down. You look to him, maybe he's, you know, he's covered up. Then it's like, okay, like where like where do I go with it now? I don't really trust some of these other guys. Maybe Hunter Henry, but yeah, the, the chemistry is just off, and it has been all year long. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, the Hunter Henry one you mentioned too, like the one in the seam where I felt like he had Hunter Henry there. So he missed a lot of throws. I mean, his receivers didn't help him. And I feel like this is sort of, James, we're at the point now where this is kind of like the theme of what his career has been as a Patriot. Like, I will say this, the organization, I've said it multiple times, has not done a good job helping a young quarterback, right? Like, first of all, the Patricia thing, a lot of people could see it from the start. It wasn't going to work. The guy never called plays offensively. It didn't work. And it failed miserably. The other thing I would say is that they actually, they've never really replaced your role, like the traditional third down running back that can help out the quarterback, which make would make life a lot easier for Mac. They've never had that. And the weapons in general, although I like a lot of the players, like I love Kendrick Bourne. Unfortunately, he's hurt right now. And I felt like finally, like Kendrick Bourne was so good for them in 2021. And then last year he was in the doghouse, which is like, that's not just hurting Kendrick Bourne, that's hurting the entire team because he's one of your best offensive players and your young quarterback's trying to develop as a player. He developed a chemistry with that guy. You weren't using him. So that whole issue last year, this year, I felt like it was more about personnel than it was anything else where the offensive line, you basically didn't have tackles to, or right tackle to start the year because Riley Reef you signed and then he got, he got injured in preseason playing guard when we know he's not a guard. <laughs> so he misses all this time. Luckily, on Wenyu at one point pitched, uh, went out to right tackle and was reported he said that he wanted to do that to help his value, which I can't blame him. I mean, he's a good player. So if you want to get more <laughs> yeah. money, go out and play tackle. And he's yeah. better than anybody else playing right tackle when he played right tackle. So go ahead and, and do that. But then the same thing, too. Like, OK, he built up a chemistry with Jacoby. Then they let Jacoby walk. They bring in Juju. Juju, I don't know who took a look at his medicals, but clearly the knee was not right to begin the season. And look, maybe like one of the things I said on Thursday is, hey, they get a they, hopefully Juju can show something down the stretch of the season where, hey, we feel good about him. Like we know it didn't work out well in year one, but hey, we feel good about him heading into the offseason because we feel like the knee is going to be significantly healthier next year. But my whole point with this with Mac is the Patriots haven't helped him. But I also look at it and I say, well, you know what, Mac? The Patriots have certainly not helped him, but Mac hasn't helped himself either, right? Like if you look at it and you can say, okay, this interception today is more about Juju than Mac, but he has an interception in all six losses. In the two wins, he doesn't have a pick. He has four games with more touchdowns than picks, and he has three with more interceptions than touchdowns, right? So it feels like to me, it's almost like he should be more of, and I don't mean to say this as an indictment, but a game manager type quarterback. But the problem is he he almost plays like a gunslinger, but he doesn't really have like the ups of a gunslinger. Like even I look on the other side today and I'm not saying that Heineke is ever going to be like a great quarterback in the NFL, 
But I do feel like there's a lot of talent there with that guy, right? Like yeah. some of the throws that this guy was making, like the one he made to Dotson, I'm like, holy crap. Like I don't believe Matt could make that throw. And some of the ones he makes on the move, I don't believe Matt can t- make that throw. So I just feel like now, I hope that Matt can catch on somewhere else, but I feel like we're getting close to the point where you're two and seven. You're in all likelihood going to have a top five pick. And you kind of like the roster is not great right now either. So the roster needs a lot of help. And I kind of feel like what's going to be best for both parties is restart sort of that rookie quarterback contract thing, right? Where you're not paying the rookie quarterback a lot of money, because eventually if you're going to pay Mac, it's going to be a lot of money. You have to think about the fifth year option situation. I do think for Mac, like what his best thing may be, like we mentioned Atlanta, like that's not a, that's not a crazy place for Mac to end up if like Atlanta is not going to be in prime real estate to get a quarterback, right? So unless they're going to find one on the veteran market, maybe they say, hey, we can get him right. Maybe Mac plays at least okay down the stretch of the season and Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota says, hey, Kirk Cousins has the Achilles. We're not going to be in position to draft our next quarterback. Maybe we think that we can bring Mac in and see if he can compete and get a job. But I do feel like that's sort of where we're heading right now, where Mac hasn't proven enough where he's the guy. The Patriots haven't help Mac. And I almost feel like a divorce at this point in time feels like what is probably going to be best for both parties. There's definitely a lot to evaluate when it comes to Mac. I feel like last year definitely didn't help him. He lost his confidence coming into this year. I feel like he was trying to prove himself a little too much and forcing some things, throwing the ball across the field and all that. He just has to settle in down the stretch, you know, get back to get back to the fundamentals. I said, nothing's there. Throw the ball away. Take your check downs. Just live the fight another play. You just want to put your your best tape out there. I, I said, they're going to re- you know, review all options when it comes to it, trades and all that stuff. But I feel like in the end, he, he might still be a New England Patriot next year. They're going to find somebody in the draft or free agency to compete or you know, take the starting spot. I, I, just, I just feel like you keep him on the roster, compete with somebody. You never know, you know what the situation is going to look like whether the guy you draft or bring in is going to be, actually be ready immediately. At least you have a guy. I know he hasn't performed necessarily the greatest the last two seasons, but you you know what he's capable of doing. Maybe you bring some some more talent in at the receiver position, offensive line, all that to sure things up. Maybe that benefits him next year. And having a true competition, that also you know brings the best out in people as well. Yeah, But everything's going to be on the table. As far as, you know, everybody on the roster this year, unfortunately, there's been, you know, injuries, defense side of the ball, offense side of the ball, and that's some some key guys as well. So some guys that really make an impact on the game. Yeah, I definitely didn't think they did enough to, you know, help him out. And I said, when you have one of those years like last year, QB position is it's all about confidence. If you're not confident out there, it's it's extremely yeah. hard to – to go out there and just sling the ball around. And when you don't trust the people in front of you to, to block as well, that's, that's a major issue too, especially for a young quarterback who's coming off last season, trying to prove something. And now your offensive line in front of you is not protecting you. And you're, you're like, like, Oh, well, I, I'm still going to go out here and try and try and make plays because like, I can do it. That, that type of thing. That's never, you know, the right mindset to have, but, yeah, there's definitely going to be a lot of evaluating going on as far as quarterbacks because we all know when it comes to Bill, you don't know what he's going to do on draft day. He could have the number two pick, number three pick. He may trade He may trade that pick to get a few more picks. So he hasn't been in this position. I don't think he's probably ever had a probably a top five pick. 
since being with the Patriots, yeah. I'm not sure, but it's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do with that if they end up in that top five spot. He'll trade down and take like a 24 year old guard like he did with Cole Strange, non premium position. I mean, I mean, yeah. although I mean, the offensive line is probably going to be a need, so it's not a yeah a terrible yeah kidding yeah not a not a terrible thing to do in this QB class is supposed to be deep, but I mean, if you had the opportunity to get you know they probably want the number one pick, but you know a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, if you can get a guy like I mean I don't know Michael Penix in a you know second round or. Man, I like I mean, Penix, man. Yeah, something, something like that. There's there's a lot of depth in this, you know, QB class upcoming. So, yeah, yeah, and I I'd say that. Do you, oh, by the way, did you realize this? I brought this up before. I think on the pod. You know that Cole Strange is only like a couple months younger than Tatum. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like Tatum's been yeah. in the league so long, yeah. and it's like, wait, he's the same yeah. age as Cole yeah, Strange. Basketball, you get in the get in the league at 19. It's, yeah. it's completely different. Completely different ball game. Yeah. So anyway, on that quarterback thing, though, I think if the, pa- if the Patriots get a top five pick and we've been going through it, we've been monitoring on the pod, like where teams are at. But like Arizona feels like, hey, they figured it out. We're going to keep losing now. Like they, I, that's still like it's probably that game against the Cowboys is probably going to be like the most the strangest result of the year. Like, how did Arizona <laughs> beat Dallas? Oh gosh, and then they God. traded their quarterback. Like, <laughs> hey, in the middle well, of the season. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate hey, your yeah, service. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him, though. At least yeah. he's on a team that's trying to compete, right? And he actually came in and I played well today. So, I mean, that, good for him. But, like, Carolina, that's a team that stinks, but they don't have their picks. They're going to try to win. They're not going to be able to win because they stink anyway. The Bears, like, could they move on from field? So, I do think, like, hey, if the Patriots, if, if the Patriots evaluation, because Caleb Williams is going to go number one, it feels like no matter what. But if Drake May is there and if they feel like, hey, Drake May is generational type quarterback, right? If they feel like this is a franchise level quarterback for the next 10 to 12 years, you can't pass on him. Now, if their evaluation is, hey, the quarterbacks there aren't that, then I understand not taking a quarterback. I just feel like if that guy's there, you got to do whatever you can. And I would even say this, like if you're in the top five, like say hypothetically you're at four, which is possible right now with the Patriots only with the two wins. And this was one of the games we look at in the schedule is winnable. Now the Giants stink too. You still got the Giants. You still get the Colts. Like there's winnable games on the schedule. But if you get to like four and two's for sale because say the Bears have two and three, right? And, and or whatever it is, or they put three on, if they have two and three and you're at five or something like that and they're selling one of those picks and you feel like, hey, Drake May's our guy, you got to go up and get Drake May. Like I would, if you, if that's the guy, like their evaluation, like is going to be different than my evaluation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a scout. I just watched Drake May on Saturdays and he <laughs> looks pretty good to me. But if they have that evaluation, I think they got to do it because it just doesn't feel like it's going to be Mac working out here long term. Yeah, and you may be in the same situation next year with Mac, right? Yes. Like if it's a similar season. Yeah, I mean, you honestly never know what they're going to decide to do, how they're going to evaluate these quarterbacks. You know, even if a guy like Justin Fields is on the table, they, I mean, they may that may pique Bill's interest as well, depending on you know what the Bears are selling in that situation. Yeah. Bringing a, a dynamic guy like that, I know he hasn't you know quite got his footing in the league, but I'm sure that may intrigue Bill as far as having a a mobile quarterback is mobile quarterbacks have, you know, destroyed the Patriots for <laughs> quite some time, gave us a lot of problems. But even if, you know, a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. is in there, the top, you know, three or four, that, that that's not a oh, terrible, pick. that's not a terrible pick as well. So I feel like that would, that'd be very intriguing. I, I wouldn't have a problem with them taking that guy at number four, number three, whatever it is. And then getting a quarterback in the second round. I, 
Yeah, can't that kid is ridiculous. <laughs> can't pass him. I, and that. I heard him say he said his he said his brother's better. Yeah, fourteen. <laughs> yeah, he said his his brother's going to be a bit like. I mean, obviously, great genes. And Marvin Harrison uh, Senior was a, you know one of the best receivers of the last generation. So yeah, that'd be incredible. There's a lot of good receivers coming out too. Yeah. Washington's got yeah. a couple. Florida State's got a couple. <laughs> like it, it's it's loaded. <laughs> In terms of the skill positions. So, yeah, we'll see. And we'll see if Bill's still the coach. Like, we've heard a lot of rumblings about that. So, if Bill's, if Bill's not the coach of the team, then it's not going to be him making the decision either. Okay. So, James, before we let you go, I got to ask you about this because you're living in this as somebody that works for Big Ten Network. What has this whole Jim Harbaugh thing been like? And, like, how out of bounds is it from your perspective here? At first, it didn't seem, you know, that bad to me as far as you know the sign stealing and all that but the more information that comes out it seems you know more and more crazy than buying tickets to you know opposing teams all their home games away games i mean the, whatever the little video potentially a guy from central michigan sideline is not yeah. supposed to be on the sideline with, with the gear on it's <laughs> it just it just seems really sketchy that you hear like teams coming out saying, you know, from like watching their film and like all that. And I don't know, you just, everything becomes more and more of a question, you know, based off this season, last season. I mean, nobody's able to move the ball on them and all that. So it's like, why? Cool. Maybe, maybe that's why they're, you know, their team is doing so good and all that. So everything's going to become in question you know, <laughs> over these next year. I'm just, Wondering how the NCAA, how the Big Ten is going to handle everything or when a decision is going to be made, whether it's going to be you know, this year, you know, whatever, next year. Are they not going to be able to go into the college football playoff? Like, what, what is it going to be? I know everybody, I know everybody in the Big Ten is probably all the other coaches and athletic directors are probably like, let's get, let's get this decision made now. But for the Big Ten, why would you want to make a decision on that? When you right, that could be that could be one of your better teams. They may have a, may have an opportunity to get two teams into the college football playoff. I'd probably wait until after the season to kind of make a decision on it. But it's yeah, more details that come out. Yeah, well, remember day. too, like <laughs> you remember like Louisville basketball. It took years for them to strip them of the 2013 title. Yeah. <laughs> Memphis, and they didn't even win the national championship. But Memphis, John Calipari's team with Derrick Rose, yeah. like in 2008, they took away the Final Four banner. So I, I don't think anything will happen. And I do think I, for some reason, I think that I, I think I was reading that it's like they have 10 months to respond or something like once they get like a no, the notification. But to your point about the Big Ten and more importantly, like the college football playoff, too, as you mentioned, like this is drama. This is an incredible storyline. Like yeah. if Michigan, which in all likelihood, like I don't think that, like I don't think it's a vintage Ohio State team from what I've no. seen, like their offense just it seems to be something like the great receiver. Great receivers, great running back, but it's something up like yeah. the quarterback. It's certainly not C.J. Stroud. No, We're seeing C.J. No. Stroud light up the NFL. It's certainly not that in Justin Fields before him. So I, I think that Michigan will win that game. Obviously, Michigan gets its like first real test next week against Penn State. They haven't played everybody. And I'm not saying they're not a great team. They are. I'm just saying they haven't really we'll, we'll find played anybody. But We'll find out about them this week. Yeah. <laughs> I think they want the, the NCAA should want that. Like, like you have now a yeah. built-in villain. Like it was, it was Bama for all these years, just because Bama was so good, right? But like Harbaugh can easily be a villain. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is like perfect for college basketball. You always want it. Like, I think in some sense, like UNLV in the late '90s became that, right? And like, yeah. honestly, you know who did? 
the Fab Five because they just yeah. talk so much shit. Like people got mad, right? Like, yeah. like, like they, that team talks so much. It's yeah. just crazy. And like, whenever we have a villain in sports, it's awesome. Like the Yankees, that's a villain. Yeah. Like when the Yankees are spending all this money, like it's good. You guys, to a sense, became like a villain. Yeah. Everybody yeah. wanted you guys to lose, right? I mean, that, that was the thing. Like everybody wanted a new team to take over. Yeah, the drama sells for sure. People are definitely going to be more in tune with it. People are going to be more in tune to the Michigan game, seeing how how well they are, seeing if they're still out there trying to find, you know, advantages. It's just, it's just kind of weird how, you know, they put them on pay, put the guy, whatever, Connor Stallions on pay leave, and then they fired him, you know, last week, however it may be. But for Michigan, it's better go out there and win the national championship because who knows what these, you know, sanctions or suspensions are going to look like going forward. And they've been in the college football playoff the last couple of years, just having, you know, played well in the college football playoff. This is one of those years where it's wide open and it's their best opportunity with everything going on. You better, you better go out there and finish the job, even though it may, it may end up getting taken away from you, and you know, in the next year or two. But hey, at least you can say you, you did still went out there and won it. <laughs> yeah. How funny would it be if he he was at the, like the, he got spotted at the Georgia game next week, like on the <laughs> sideline. He was wearing like Ole Miss stuff against Georgia. I mean, like. I know during, I think it was Big Ten Media Days, that was before I started working there, I know Harbaugh was saying they had a, a Georgia period, you know, during practice. Like, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So I'm like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they already had <laughs> intel uh, on, on, on that Georgia's going to so, go look at the opposing yeah, sidelines. Yeah, yeah so, <laughs> so so we'll see. I would, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet they find him. What's his last name again? Stallions? Yeah, Connor Stallions. That's his name. Connor, yeah. Connor Stallions. I bet they see Connor at like a bunch of their games. Like they're 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 SEC. It's probably it's probably still maybe it was at Missouri last week. They found him. <laughs> yeah, if not him, somebody, somebody he knows, yeah. They obviously no had a doubt. good game plan. So Yeah. Hey, maybe the Patriots hire him. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, don't, we don't need any more of that we don't have... <laughs> <laughs> all right that is three-time super bowl champ james white james thanks so much for the time as always man we appreciate it no problem appreciate you jump into the nba action with fanduel america's number one sports book right now new customers get 150 dollars in bonus bets with any winning five dollar money line bet plus all customers get three free months of nba league pass courtesy of fanduel when they place a $5 bet on the NBA. And I'm looking at this Celts-Timberwolves game coming up on Monday night. Intriguing game. So how about this? We'll do a four-leg parlay. Jason Tatum for 25 points. Jason Tatum for 10 rebounds. Drew Holiday, two made threes. And Drew Holiday, four assists. That way you can watch all the action as you bet on everything from point spreads to player props. Best of all, you'll get paid your winnings instantly. So don't miss your chance to get $150 in bonus bets plus three months of NBA League Pass. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and tip off the NBA season right. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. Must be 21 plus in president select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Limit one pass per customer. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. NBA League Pass. Local blackout restrictions apply. All right, great stuff there, as always, from James White, as the Patriots, unfortunately, continue to be a disappointment. They're 2-7, and seven, 
And I guess the good news with this is the interception late made sure you lost the game and didn't sneak in a win. And now the draft position is good for the Patriots. So I guess if you're looking at the positives from this one, that would certainly be a positive as you look to move on and get your new quarterback going forward for this organization. Okay, so I did want to get to some Celtics because really entertaining game on Saturday night against the Brooklyn Nets. And I get it, we're early on in the season here, but Tatum is on an absolute tear. So he was amazing in that game Saturday night, goes for 32 points and 10 rebounds. And he just was dominant in that game start to finish. He was just going right at Cam Thomas, not that Cam Thomas is a good defender, but just backing him down, dribbled through his legs twice at one point with him where he he brought him back and then he ended up hitting a step back three. So he was abusing him. He had another post up at the top of the key where he spins, goes right by Thomas, and then Thomas kind of gets back in the play. So Tatum spins around the other side to his left hand and finishes, gets an and one where Dinwiddie follows him. He had that nice drive off a live rebound where he went right through Cam Thomas, who I feel bad for how he was abused on the defensive end. Although I can't really feel bad for him. That guy doesn't pass. It's really amazing to me. If he gets the ball, it's going up. It's like Marcus Morris on steroids. Like, remember when Marcus Morris was here and he never passed the basketball? That's what Cam Thomas is, except significantly worse. Anyway, so just some really nice plays all around. Like, one of the plays he had where he went by Thomas and then Bridges came over to try to stop Tatum at the rim, and he just went right through Bridges. And I know Tatum's like a stronger guy than Bridges, but Bridges is an all-NBA defender. He's one of the best wing defenders in the league, and he could do nothing with Tatum. So he was awesome again. And my buddy asked me last night, like, hey, is Tatum the best player in the league right now based on like sort of the start he got off to and the resume, the all NBAs and all that. And I just can't get there with Tatum yet because Jokic is still the best player in the NBA, right? That guy has had that title in my perspective for three years now, the back to back MVPs and then the finals where he just dominates and all the questions about that Denver team, they sort of answered them and they won a championship. And look, Tatum, he may not even be second, third, or fourth, right? You still have the Lucas, you have the Embiid's, you have the Curry's, you have the Giannis's, right? So he's not the best player in the NBA right now. But I do think he's one of the handful of guys that could at least challenge Jokic, right? Like at some point, maybe you could make an argument for Tatum. The problem right now is Tatum doesn't have the resume that Jokic has. And quite frankly, even the resume that Curry, and Curry has an unreal resume, four titles, two MVPs, finals, MVP, all that. But Giannis has a championship. Giannis has two MVPs, right? So the thing about Jokic, too, is remember the other day when Harden said he's not a system player, he is the system? That's like actually legitimately true for Jokic. Jokic is everything for that Nuggets team from an offensive perspective. He does everything, right? He makes everybody around him better. But what I think where you could make an argument for Tatum is he's the most complete player in the league. That, I think, is the argument you could have with Tatum. So With Tatum right now, the shooting is really good, okay? And he's getting to the rim more. As a scorer, right now, there are really no flaws in his game. He needed to improve certain things. Two years ago, he was getting to the free throw line more. He's certainly done that. He needed to be more consistent as a three-point shooter. And I get it. All this is small sample size right now. But I'm not asking him to be Steph Curry. But can he hit 38% of his threes? And he's certainly capable of doing that because we saw him do it early in his career. He shot north of 40%. And I get it now. The attempts are more difficult than they've been in the past, right? Because he's the guy that everybody's preparing for, unlike when he was first in the NBA and he was playing with that loaded Celtics team that, of course, underachieved. But I digress. My point being is the shot looks good. The shot's always looked good. It's always surprised me when you look up and he's shooting 35% from deep for the season. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I believe he could be a 38% 
three-point shooter. This year, he's shooting 45.2% to start the season. It's only 42 attempts, but he's shooting the ball really well right now. He has 151 points on 100 shots, which is an amazing number. He's shooting 55% from the field, and he's finishing at the rim. 78% from the rim. That's up eight percentage points higher from where he was a season ago. That's weaponizing his physicality, as I always reference. Okay, he's also 36 of 58 on twos, which is 62.1%. That number is up from his career high of 55.8%. So he's gone from 55.8% up to 62.1%. It's not going to stay there the entire season, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be in the at least in the high 50s this year. So if you look at his effective field goal percentage, which of course factors in threes being worth more than twos, he's at 64.5%. That is in the 86th percentile. Like that's an elite level number. So the other thing that's happened here, if you look at his pull-up shooting, which was a real problem for Tatum last year, his pull-up threes, he shot just 29.1%. And again, this is a small sample, but he's 10 of 24 so far this season, 41.7%. So it's probably not going to stay around 42%, but as I allude to with just his overall three-point shooting, can it be 38%? I certainly think he's capable of doing that. Like, the shot is too pretty to be a 35% three-point shooter and a 29% pull-up shooter. The shot is there. So I believe he's going to shoot the ball well all season long. Right now, his impact is through the roof. He's number one in the NBA in plus-minus at plus 94. We're five games in it. He's a plus 94. The Celtics are outscoring teams by 26.9 points per 100 possessions with Tatum on the court via cleaning the glass, that's in the 100th percentile. So you can say, oh yeah, they've played some bad teams. Okay, but what else do you want him to do? He's in the 100th percentile. He's number one in plus minus. He's doing everything he possibly can. He can't be better right now, right? And then we know, here's the other thing about this argument of, is he the most complete player? So scoring wise right now, he doesn't really have a flaw in his game. And I get it. This is all with the caveat. He's got to prove it in the postseason and all that. But if you're talking about a complete player, there's really nothing you can do with him defensively right now because he's now strong enough to go through guys. He's shooting better. He can get to the free throw line. So there's really not a lot you can do with him offensively. If he's going, you're not stopping him, right? The other thing is we know that he's an elite defensive players. The numbers have backed that out through the years. If you look at him in terms of this season, the Celtics have a 102.7 defensive rating with Tatum on the floor via cleaning the glass. That's in the 91st percentile. They're actually 10.7 points per 100 possessions better on defense with Tatum on the court than off the court, which is just a ridiculous number. And it's not going to stay that high, but you get the point. We've always seen the impact is there with Tatum from a defensive perspective. And then there is the resume of being a great defender. I predicted before the season that I thought he'd be all NBA defensive team this year. If you look at his numbers in that series, the tracking data against Kevin Durant, we all remember this, where he completely dominated Kevin Durant. Like, this is not some made-up thing. This is not me talking about something that I can envision happening. No, this actually happened. When Jason Tatum guarded Kevin Durant, Durant, who is considered to be one of the best scorers of this generation, at one point won four straight scoring titles, seven-foot guy that can shoot, Tatum dominated him. He was three of 18 with Tatum as his primary defender. That's 16.7%, 12 turnovers, and Tatum blocked him twice. Okay, that happened. We've seen Tatum take out one of the best scorers quite frankly, in NBA history. Tatum actually did that. It's not made up. He actually did that, okay? And I will say this, and obviously it didn't end well, but if you go from the three games, four, five, and six, before seven when he hurt the ankle, he was doing the same thing to Jimmy Butler. He was slowing down Jimmy Butler. Now, Tatum got injured in game seven. Jimmy was awesome early in that 
series. But if you go from four to six, and that's not what we're judging him on, right? We're judging on, okay, can you win the series? Four through six, he was the far superior player. And there's really not an argument to the contrary. Okay. Also, so when we're doing this whole argument of complete player, not a flaw right now in terms of his scoring. Okay. Elite level defensive player. Oh yeah. He has another elite skill. He's an elite rebounder. We've talked about this on the pod before. Right now, he's just under 10 a game. Remember, I predicted before the season that Jason Tatum would average a double-double this season. I truly believe that he certainly can. And really, if it wasn't for blowing these teams out, he'd be averaging more than 10 per game right now, right? So it's awesome because when he rebounds, he can just dribble into action. We see him get the rebound, he pushes the ball, and now he's doing this thing where he backs somebody down in semi-transition, right? So elite-level rebounder, elite-level scorer, an elite defensive player right now. So getting to this most complete player thing, and this really, if you think about it from this perspective, it's who's the least flawed player in the NBA. So Jokic, as we mentioned, he's the best player. He is a walking triple-double, right? So let me be clear. Jokic is the best player in the world, and you could argue other guys, as we mentioned, over Tatum. But let's just say out of that group, I told you Tatum has no flaws right now. Even Jokic, as good as he is, and it worked last year for them, they won the championship, He is a solid defender. He's not a bad defender. He is a solid defender, but he's not elite. Jason Tatum is an elite level wing defender. And I would say this about the Nuggets. They weren't, they were beating everyone last year. It like, it it didn't really matter. Whoever you lined up against them, they were going to beat. They were just so locked in when they got to the postseason. But the one thing that can stress that team is guards that can bomb off the high pick and roll, right? Like, they didn't play the Warriors, and they would have beat the Warriors last year. I'm, don't get me wrong on any, on this, because the Warriors were just, they were a complete dumpster fire with the whole Jordan Poole situation. But the one thing I will mention is, hey, if the Warriors want to play a little bit differently and try to pull Jokic out of the lane, we'll have the best guy in the history of the world to do that. They also have a lot of different guys, if you look at other teams across the Western Conference, like the Clippers. And I know the Nuggets historically own the Clippers. And look, this is about, hey, can the Clippers actually get to the postseason healthy? But if they're playing four wings and one big, are you going to get Jokic switched on to Kawhi, onto Paul George, right? And we'll see what James Harden does in the postseason. But you get my point, is if you're looking at Jokic, you can't argue that he's an elite defensive player. He's just not. Is he a bad defensive player? No. He's a fine, good defensive player. In certain settings, he's a good defense. He's got really good hands. Like, that's certainly true. But he's not a plus defender like Jason Tatum is an elite defender, okay? And like I said, I'm not arguing best player. I told you he's not the best player, but the most complete, the superstar with the least amount of flaws, or in Tatum's case, I don't think he has a flaw right now. If you look at Giannis, the other guy in this conversation, he can't shoot. And I know he has a ring, like Jokic has a ring, but they just went out and they got Damian Lillard because they needed a closer, right? You can't really run your late game offense through Giannis. And I get it. They won a championship. I will say, though, Monty Williams, that coaching staff, just a horrific job of game planning for that series. Go look at the three-point numbers. That team doesn't, they still don't take enough threes. That's why I don't truly believe in Phoenix. They don't take nearly enough threes. And I know I sound like Joe Mazzulla right now, but they don't take enough threes. Anyway, so far this season, Giannis is 61.5% from the free throw line. And I know in that one series against the Suns, he hit all the free throws. He's got the ring and the banner is always going to be there for them. He was at 64.5% last year from the free throw line. It's actually been getting worse recently. We know he can't shoot threes, 32% from the mid-range this year too. And he was at 32% last year. So he can't really hit anything outside of the basket, right? So they have Dame to close things out. So Jokic, not an elite defender. He's fine, but he's not elite. Giannis can't shoot. He literally can't shoot. That's why his teams sometimes have struggled offensively. 
That's why he needs a guy like Dame because you can't just say, hey, Giannis, late in the fourth quarter, and I know he's done it in the past, but he can't consistently win. You can't win that way consistently with the way that he plays bully ball, right? A lot of it is dependent on the officiating. Okay, Embiid. Well, we saw Embiid in that game seven. The Celtics exposed him defensively, and he's supposed to be the better defender than Jokic, and he is on balance, right? I mean, he can shot block, protect the rim, all that different type of stuff. But Embiid, in that game seven, Tatum kept getting him on switches. Via the tracking data, when Joel Embiid was switched on to Tatum, Tatum was 8 of 10, and he was 4 of 4 from deep, and he scored 24 points just on Joel Embiid. And I just think it's tough. Like, so that's part of it is you can't expose Embiid defensively. The other thing I'd say, it's just tough to play through a traditional big like Embiid late in games. Jokic is different, right? Like he's the hub of the offense. He's running all this stuff from the elbow. He can dribble it up. He can run a pick and roll himself as the ball handler. That's not Embiid, right? And Embiid very quietly, maybe not so quietly, but I do think Embiid doesn't get as much as the criticism or as much of the criticism because he played with Ben Simmons, who was scared to dunk. And also, if you factor in, he just played with Harden, who stunk at the end of that series, right? So Embiid sort of, in a way, gets let off the hook. Embiid is 24 points per game in the postseason. Not saying that's horrible, but it's down from his regular season average of 27. In the last two years, and I know he's always dealing with something, but that's part of it with Embiid. Like Tatum's an Iron Man, Embiid has an injury history. That's part of his issue as well. But if you look at him, the last two years, he's under 24 points per game in the postseason. Game seven, he was 5 of 18 against the Celtics when you needed your superstar, your MVP to show up, and he had 15 points. So he shot 27.8% from the field. He scored 15 points on 18 shots. He missed four threes. Tatum literally just on Embiid scored nine more points on Embiid as his primary defender than Embiid scored in the game. So Embiid, now, obviously he's a great player, but you can take advantage of him at times defensively. It took, I thought it took the Celtics too long to get to that in terms of just pulling him out in the high pick and roll. When you look at Curry, here's another guy. So Curry, there has been this misconception that he's a bad defender because of those finals against LeBron and the Cavs, okay? He was just the worst defender on that team, right? And the smallest defender on that team. He's not a bad defender. But if you think about it from LeBron and Kyrie's perspective in those series, those guys, first of all, they're the kings of mismatch hunting, right? That's what those guys do. He was just the worst guy to go after because of his size, right? Look around. Like, here are your options back then when you were playing those Warriors teams. Are you going to attack Clay, Iguodala, Draymond, Durant, Livingston? I guess if Zaza was on the court, but he was never going to be out there in crunch time, they go to that group of death lineup. So who are you attacking? It's Steph. If it's one of those other guys out there with them, all those guys are like, Draymond's one of the best defenders of his generation. Same thing about Iguodala. Clay was, until the injuries, Clay was an elite defender as well. Livingston's six foot eight. He could always hold up. And Durant is almost seven feet. So it was never like Steph is a bad defender. It's just, he was the best option, right? It's not like Steph is ever like Kemba, where Kemba's a liability. It's just, Okay, well, which guy do we want to attack? I mean, he's the smallest guy to that group, but he's just not as good as those other guys defensively. But anyway, for example, in a playoff series, and here's the thing that separates when I'm talking about the complete player aspect, because Steph is a better player than Jason Tatum. Steph is going off left and right for like 35 points. He's hitting a million threes. And him and Jokic are the two guys where automatically you're going to be one of the best offenses in the NBA when they're in the court. Like, there's no doubt about that. But... With Steph, the one thing where I talk about this whole complete thing, when we're talking about Tatum compared to the other superstars in the, in the NBA where he doesn't have a flaw, like their strengths are better than Tatum's strengths, right? Like Jokic and Curry are way better offensive players than 
Tatum right now. I shouldn't say way better, but they're better. And they've proven at the highest levels. But in terms of the flaw that Tatum doesn't have, just think about it from this perspective. If you're playing the Suns, you can't say, hey, Steph, go guard Kevin Durant. You can't do it, right? Like, he, he's too small. He, he can't cover Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant will just shoot right over him. When you look at Tatum or the Clippers, say with Steph, hey, go guard Kawhi or Paul George for this series. He can't do it. With Tatum, you can, right? You could say, hey, uh, yeah, Tatum. Oh, yeah, he's actually shut Durant down before. He can hold up against Kawhi. And Tatum can also guard down, right? Like, so Curry can't guard up, right, to that point. Like, he can't guard the LeBrons, the... Durant's, as we mentioned, the Paul George's, the Kawhi Leonard's, he can't handle those guys, right? Even like an Anthony Edwards at this particular point in time was emerging into a star. Can't wait to see that game tomorrow night. I'll get into that in a second here. I should say Monday night. But Tatum could go down and guard Dame, right? Like the guy that you're going to have to worry about. He can take on guards. Now, obviously, you'd rather have Derek White and Drew Holiday with that matchup because they're premier defenders. But if you want to switch everything, Tatum can certainly hold up against a guard. So yes, Tatum, or excuse me, Steph is the better offensive player than Tatum. There is no disputing that. But again, this comes back to this whole idea of Tatum doesn't have anything about him that's not a plus, right? Steph's not a plus defender. Steph and Jokic, they're both not plus defenders. Giannis has a shooting flaw. Embiid, he has issues in the postseason to begin with. But anyway, just in terms of you can expose him defensively. We found that out in the playoffs. And secondarily, he has not been a great playoff player. And I don't think you can play through a big man consistently like that in the postseason nowadays. So also, like we think about Luka, right? Luka's a guy that I know he won that playoff series against the Suns. But remember that game where they just kept going at him and they scored all these isolation points on Luka? And Luka's tougher to attack because he's six foot eight. But he also, he's a great offensive player. But he's not a plus defender. You're never, never going to say, hey, Luka... You got Kawhi in the series. Or, hey, Luca, you got LeBron in the series. Like, that's just never going to happen. That's not who he is. If Tatum goes up in a series against those guys, he gets that matchup. That's because he's a premier defender in the league. Okay. So, yes, you can argue all these guys are better right now than Jason Tatum, right? Because of what they bring to the table, especially Jokic and Curry. Those guys, to me, have been the best two offensive players over the past 25 years or so, right? And LeBron, obviously, in that conversation as well. But I don't even know if LeBron generates great offense the way these two guys do, just because the gravity that Steph has, right? So Tatum, not the best player, but it is tough to argue about him not being the most complete player, plus defender, plus scorer, plus rebounder. What it reminds me of right now, like what Tatum's at, the way that he started the season, it reminds me of Kawhi from like 17 to 20, and I know he had a couple of injuries mixed in there. I thought he should have won the MVP the year that Westbrook did. I know a lot of people thought Harden should. Remember this one, Westbrook had all the triple doubles. A lot of people thought Harden should. Kawhi got docked for basically missing too many games. I thought he was the best player on a per minute basis. He should have won the MVP. And then he had that great run in 2019 where he won the championship for the Toronto Raptors. That's what Tatum reminds me of, right? Kawhi was never like this unbelievable offensive engine like Jokic or like Curry in terms of their gravity just creates things for everybody else. But he was an elite scorer that produced elite offense, right? That's with elite defense. That's what I think Tatum is emerging into right now is, and look, Kawhi at his peak was obviously a a way better defender than Tatum. And that isn't a slight at Tatum. That's just like, I don't know how many guys have been better defensive players than Kawhi at the wing position, the the level he was at for like five years. But Tatum, this is what it kind of reminds me of that prototype. He kind of reminds me of what Kawhi Leonard was slightly better passer than Kawhi. But this is what he reminds me of in terms of actually, I should say at this point a significantly better passer than Kawhi was when Kawhi was 
Tatum's age. But you get my point. It's just that's the prototype of Tatum. And that's where I say, like, at that point, I think everybody would have said he's the most, Kawhi is the most complete player in the NBA. That's what I think Tatum is right now. Tatum is sort of like the new Kawhi in the NBA, the best, the most efficient wing scorer right now. Okay. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. When my buddy brought it up, is he the best player? I'm like, no, he's definitely not the best player. But he is, he has no flaws, which I don't, even these other superstars who are all great and have championships, all those other guys do, which that sort of makes Tatum special. Okay. So the other thing I wanted to get to is Porzingis was awesome offensively in that game on Saturday. He hit that long three from the logo. That was like, holy crap. I, I, could, I still can't believe he hit that. And it was like, no, that's what I love about him. There's no hesitation. He just pulls it, right? He had seven rebounds. He finished with 22 on eight of 10 shooting. He's one of two from three-point territory. By the way, he also had, right before halftime, he had this awesome pass, whereas late in the clock, Tatum had to beat the buzzer. He tosses one out of a double team where he's at the block. He's at the left block. Tatum's on the right wing, kicks it all the way out to Tatum because he sees the double coming. And it was actually smart by the Nets because they're thinking there's no way he's passing out of this double team with basically no time remaining, right? Like he's going to put this up. So they send a double and he actually has the presence of mind to find Tatum. Tatum does a quick little up fake and he gets a three out where the Celtics for the third straight game scored 70 points in the first half. But that was a really nice find by Porzingis in that game. And if you look at his numbers right now, and like I said with Tatum, all small sample size, but he's 22 of 31 on twos. That's 71%. That's 11th among qualifiers entering play on Sunday night. He was 55.9% last season. So he's up 15 percentage points, more than 15 percentage points. He's also 17 of 21 at the rim, 81%. So part of that is we saw it last night. He's not getting a lot of those doubles. Like that was the unique situation where he did at the end of the shot clock there. But what we're seeing, he's getting a ton of lobs off easy screens. Jalen actually threw him a really nice one last night. And the other thing is sometimes he'll just be behind the defense. Like when Tatum or Jalen is coming downhill, even Drew Holiday, and they'll just lob it up to him. So the offense we know is ridiculous with Porzingis. We've talked about that, and we saw more of that in that game on Saturday night. The one thing I did notice, though, and again, this is not an indictment on Porzingis. This is not me taking a shot at Porzingis, but it's just one thing to keep in the back of your mind is, well, the other thing I noticed is I kind of alluded to earlier, Cam Thomas shooting every time he got the ball. But anyway, an interesting thing is, the Nets didn't have Nick Claxton on Saturday. So what they did is they went small. So basically they played Thomas and Dinwiddie with three wings. Finney Smith, Royce O'Neal, and Bridges. Royce O'Neal, that guy just, talk about shooting. I don't know why this guy keeps shooting. He can't hit anything. I mean, he was a, he was a minus 22 at halftime. It was unreal. So anyway, it did feel like what that did, though, by having all the wings and not a traditional big, like Claxton is a roller. He's not a guy that can space the floor. It did open up the three-point line, I felt like. Porzingis had to guard one of those wings, and the Nets got up 52 threes. That is part of their strategy in that game. Now, the good news for the Celtics, they only hit 17. Part of that is basically the fact that for most of the game, Miles Bridges was ice cold until basically the fourth quarter, and the other part of that is Royce O'Neal couldn't hit anything early on in that game. So if you look at just the, the amount of attempts, Dallas leads the league at 44. They took 52 in that game, so they got up eight more than the team that leads the NBA in three-point attempts. So that's one thing to keep your mind on or keep your at least keep your eye on it going forward is because in that game, the Celtics with Porzingis on the court, they had just a 121.5 defensive rating, 27.2 off. So basically, they had the best defense when he was off the court, like it would be the be league's best defense and the worst defense when he's actually on the court. And look, it's one game and it was kind of a weird matchup because they just decided to play no bigs whatsoever. Like it's not going to happen very often this season. 
But it's just a couple of things to keep your eye on because here's the other part of that. Even if you do do that, right? I give the Nets credit. I mean, Jacques Vaughn was going nuts on the officials last night. I don't think he's a very good coach, but I do give him credit for thinking differently because he was without his big. I think it actually helped him. I think they get blown out of this game if Claxton actually plays. I think that's part of the reason they were in it is they just like embraced this David strategy, this underdog strategy and said, hey, let's just bomb it. But the one thing the Celtics did is like, all right, if you're going to do this, and you're going to try to take advantage of Chris Stops on the defensive end, you know what we're going to do? We're going to post a 127.7 offensive rating with Porzingis on the court because they're just throwing it up to him. And they were, like I said, he got to the free throw line 10 times. He's either getting to the free throw line or he's getting these easy lobs or he's posting up these guys that are giving up like half a foot to him. So even though like the defense wasn't great with Porzingis on the floor, the offense was beyond elite. So it almost makes up for it. So I understood their strategy is just like, let's see if we can outscore them from the three-point line. It didn't end up working out. I understand the strategy. I just, it's just one thing that I noticed in the game where I'm like, oh, they actually are kind of exposing Porzingis on the defensive end of the court. But I, I just don't think many teams are going to do that throughout the course of the season. And the pause, the real positive with the Celtics is like they took advantage on the other end. Give them credit for that, right? So that was one of the rare teams that could actually do that because they do have a million wings on that team. Anyway, so no Derek White. This is crazy to me. So Derek White missed his second game in a Celtics uniform. The last game he missed was when his first child was born. His second child was born on Saturday night. 118 games. Think about that. He played 118 games. The only time he missed a game was when his two kids were born. It's amazing. You did, this is the NBA. Like the only guy that plays every other game is like Mikhail Bridges. Nobody plays every game in the NBA. And yet he won 118 games. Okay, the last time this guy didn't play in an NBA game, I wasn't even at the ringer yet. That's how long it's been. So it's unbelievable to think about it from that perspective in terms of 118 games. Anyway, I don't, I don't want to get caught up in Derek White because I want to get to Drew. We've done a lot of stuff about, about Derek White. So I will say this right away. When I find out Derek White's not playing, I'm like, all right, let's look, let's look at a parlay and let's get Drew involved in this thing. So I, I, thanks to our friends at FanDuel, I went conservative on Drew. I had him for 10 points, four rebounds, four assists, okay? He goes for 18, 10, and nine, a near triple-double. So by the way, I did hit my parlay. It was plus 720. Jalen, 20 points, which we had to sweat that one out. He had free throws late. Bridges, two made threes. Had to sweat that one out because he couldn't throw in the ball of the ocean. Drew, 10 points. That was easy. Four rebounds, easy. Four assists, easy. And then I had Edwards for 20 points, easy, Towns for 15, and Davis, Anthony Davis for 20. So that was nice. Nice little Saturday night, at a plus 720 parlay. So that was a pretty fun night. I was stressed at the end there, but it turned out to be good. But anyway, you know with, hey, with, with Derek White out, it's going to be more Drew. And I thought Drew was going to have to pick up a lot of the playmaking duties, right? And he did. He was awesome. It was great to watch. He was like running the team as the, almost like a traditional point guard in some sense, right? And just like running through some of the plays, he had a pull-up three in transition. He found Cornette in semi-transition and then for an easy bucket. Cornette ran the floor. Really nice job by Cornette. Cornette actually played well in that game. Ran right to the basket. Drew found him. He backed in bridges and finished and spin. He spun and then finished around him. He had a pull-up three after Al slipped a screen. The defender went with Al. Drew's like, okay, dude, I, I can hit these at like a 40% rate. He then found Porzingis like, it's just smart stuff where Porzingis got a small guy on him. Drew's like, okay, I'm going to get the ball into you. And I do love this thing about Drew is if the first pass isn't there for the big, he just tries to get another angle or waits for the big to get another angle. Most guys will just kick it out. Drew's like, no, nah, this is a mismatch. I'm getting it in there. So he had a lot of highlight plays in that game. He had, Tatum did the same thing, faked a screen, Drew found him, and Drew found him for a three. And then how about the 
when Cam Thomas tried to shoot that little mid-ranger over him and he blocked it. That was awesome. Oh, and he had a sick pass to Al. In transition, a bounce pass where it went right to Al. Al had a dunk. That was awesome. That was by far the best Drew game. And look, obviously part of it is Derek White's not there, but he was awesome in that game. One thing I was reminded of, though, so Drew after last night is now up to 10 of 24 from deep. That's 40%. 40%. And like I said, everything's small sample size, but he's been north of 39% every season since 2020-2021. So three straight seasons, he's north of 39%. Two years, or last year, he's nowhere. Two years ago, he's north of 40%. Derek White in the season is 11 of 19, 57.9%. Derek White since the start of last regular season is north of 40% from deep. So Derek White's been doing it for an entire season last year into this season. Drew's been basically around 40% for the past three years. Marcus, and we're recording before he takes on the Portland Trailblazers tonight. Marcus is 12 of 40, 30%. So it does make a difference, right? Where everybody out there is a weapon to shoot the basketball. All right, I did want to get to Al because he got his first start of the season, just the eight points. He didn't hit a three, but he was a game best plus 29. Unlike Porzingis, like, They tried to take advantage of Al, and they really couldn't. Al, with Al on the court, they had a 98.5 defensive rating. He was outstanding. We know that Al can hold up in switches. Two years ago, faced the most switches in the NBA. Just really good when it comes to that. And with Al, you can switch everything with this team. With Kristaps, you're not going to do that. With Al, you can, and it's useful to have that scheme. The one other thing I was thinking about it, because he played 30 minutes last night for the first time, obviously because he started and Derek White wasn't there. You look at his minutes, 26, 25, 16, 11, and 30. So south of 22 minutes per game. First five games of last year, 23, 34, 25, 41, 24. So north of 29 minutes per game. So we're talking about shaving seven minutes off Al's minutes per game. Now, it's going to be higher than 22 because, of course, you had fourth quarters where Al is getting less minutes to begin with because he's not starting the game. But also, he's not going to play in the fourth quarter in these blowouts and he's not going to he's not going to really play in the third quarter, right? Because that's when the starters get a lot of those minutes or he's not going to play like, say, eight minutes in the third quarter, like most starters would. Some of them play the entire third quarter. But you get my point. So it's not going to be 22 minutes, but I think you can keep him around 24, 25 minutes for the majority of the season, which you love to see. Like we want to get Al to the finish line healthy where he's not tired. He was fatigued last year. He shot south of 30 percent from three when he was one of the best three point shooters in the league all season long. That's an indication of tired legs, and you need Giannis to bang with the Embiid's and the Giannis's of the world when you get to the Eastern Conference playoffs, and even bam, to an extent. Okay, I'm excited for Monday night. I kind of mentioned that. Edwards is a stud. I love that guy's mentality. He had 31 on Saturday night against, uh, 31 Saturday night. He also had 31 against Atlanta earlier in the week, and you would think he wants to prove something, right? Because this is, he was great for Team USA, and now he's going up against one of the superstars in the NBA and Jason Tatum, and... The Jalen matchup, right? Because him and Jalen are good buddies. They worked out together. I don't know if they still work out together, but they're both from Georgia, so they've worked out together. They're buddies. I think Jalen's probably going to want that matchup, but I want to see a little bit of, hey, is Edwards going to cover Tatum during this game? You would think he would. I mean, they have McDaniels too, so maybe McDaniels will get him a bunch, but I want to see those matchups, right? Like Jalen against Edwards, Tatum against Edwards, or McDaniels trying to slow down Tatum or Jalen. I'm really excited to watch that game. And by the way, Celtics, number one offense, 124.7. Minnesota, Best defensive rating at 101.2, which I don't think that's going to hold up, but their shot profile is good. If you look at it, just 6.9% of their opponent's attempts are corner threes, which is the fifth best. Obviously, you want to minimize those. That's a really efficient shot, so they're doing a good job there. 
34.7% are coming in the mid-range. That's the eighth most. That's where you want teams to shoot, the mid-range. It's an inefficient shot. So that's really good numbers as well. And just 28% of opponent shots come at the rim against the Wolves. That's the fifth best. Now, they haven't obviously played a team like the Celtics where they can lift those bigs, Anthony or Carl Anthony Towns rather than Rudy Gobert. I'm really interested to see if they put those guys in the spin cycle. They're not going to be putting up a league best defensive rating against the Celtics. So I do think there's a lot of things the Celtics can take advantage of in terms of what Minnesota does on the defensive side. But it's a weird, quirky team with the two bigs. Obviously, we mentioned at the time when it happened, it was just a horrendous trade for Minnesota. But they're definitely a team that is competitive. They are definitely a team that is, going, in my opinion, going to be in the playoffs. And they have one of the best young players in the league. So I think it's going to be a great game. On Monday night. Cannot wait to watch it. Okay. So we got a lot more to get into here. We will get to a call and Jamie and I will revisit our bets from Sunday as well. So we'll get to that next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back into Off the Pike. All right, we got time for a call here, so let's do that. The number 617-396-7172. Who's up first? Brian, it's David from Kentucky. Uh, Pat's fall, as you know, expected and uh, even projected by you to the uh, Washington Commanders. Um, you know, just just this this team is is you know we're hoping for them to lose at this point because we're hoping that they rebuild uh, down the road somewhere. I, I just I am continually blown away by the the ineptitude uh, of this organization that we grew to believe was so um, in tune and so uh, just you know playing chess while others were playing checkers. Uh, think about things like you know I, we spent all this money on Juju in the off season and then on the Crucial fourth down early in the game. That I took a picture of it because I just couldn't believe, like, to see Juju standing there and and him not even be one of the the people personnel wise that we trust to put on the field in an important moment. Um, Malik Cunningham, I, I still don't think that that's been talked about enough. I mean, we elevate this guy and sign this guy to cut this guy, and then today, like, he he's not even dressed. He's not one of the three quarterbacks that the Patriots. Dress. Uh, I feel like every week I've got to watch Johnny Smith do something because somebody schemed uh, to get him the ball and let him create after the catch, which is what he's really good at and always has been really good at. And we watch uh, him just, I guess, be wasted or, or I don't know what for, for how many ever years here with the Pats. Um, and then just an interesting thought, uh, you know, uh, I thought it was a good day from Christian Barmore, something you were hoping to see here towards the end of the season. And then uh, did we see Matt Jones' greatest throw as a Patriot today? on the incompletion over the top to Jalen Rager. Um, I've always thought that, that Brady's physical greatest 
throw was the incompletion in the Super Bowl where Randy Moss slows down and and even still watching that today it it hurts. But um not to stay there. Uh but but do we see Mac's greatest throw as a Patriot? I guess that's my question. Um good day from Barmore. Uh the Patriots still suck, which I guess gets us closer to, to maybe being good again one day. Um Celts are awesome. Bruins lost a one they shouldn't have lost last night, but hey, we still love them and uh the Red Sox, I guess, are, are at least exciting because they're not playing yet. So, anyway, love the show as always. Thanks, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, that was a difficult one for the Bruins. That was an all-time uniform matchup, though. The Red Wings with the red uniforms and the Bruins. I love the new white uniforms the Bruins have. That's just a side note. But, yeah, tough loss for the Bruins. The Celtics won. To your point about Max throw, you may be right on that. That may have been his bit. That was a beautiful ball. Rager's got to come down and make that catch. I mean, Mac had, certainly we talked about if James had mistakes in this game. But that was a ball that Rager's going to catch. Uh, nobody should be surprised that Rager didn't catch because Rager's not good at football. That's why no other team wants him. And it's fine for the Patriots. I mean, that thing, you mentioned the Cunningham thing. The thing that pissed me off more is that Kayshawn Booty's not playing. What are we doing? Like, Kayshawn Booty's a guy that, hey, maybe you found something in the draft. Play that guy. Don't play Jalen Rager. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I don't know what you're trying to get out of him right now. And to your overwhelming point about just like the organization how where it used to be yeah it's totally different now Patriots organization is a dumpster fire they don't do a lot of things really well right now and in all likelihood they're going to be shopping for a new quarterback I think now at this point in time I've said it the Patriots fucked Mac they didn't do much to help Mac Jones but Mac Jones is also over the past two years he's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL you knew when he had the ball down 2017 that he wasn't tying the game up and look, I understand Juju's going to make that catch, but I also don't think it was a wise decision for Max to throw the ball there. Like, I'm not blaming Mac. Juju's going to come down with that ball. But that was not a smart decision to throw the ball there. We've seen Mac in all these games have careless plays. And if you want to say, hey, well, Brian, he shouldn't have, like, Juju should have caught that one. Yeah, you can also look at the Forbes play earlier in the game where he tried to throw the ball to Forbes and R- Rieger actually made a defensive play, right? So, I mean, you could trade those interceptions, if you will, the non-interception, which is a horrible throw in the Juju one, he also missed throws in the game as well. But yeah, the Patriots, not very entertaining right now. Like the most entertaining thing is these awkward Bill Belichick press conferences where he doesn't want to talk about why J.C. Jackson and Jack Jones aren't playing and why Sean Wade's out there. Oh, we played all the corners. Yeah, Bill, well, you started Sean Wade, who stinks. Okay, so you started him and you have these other two guys that are like pretty good. J.C. Jackson's been good since he came over. I know he's horrible with the Chargers, but it's just like, yeah, Bill, something was going on there, okay? Like, we know something's going on. So, like, just acting like we played all the safeties. We played on the corners. Yeah, okay, Bill, great. Thanks for the information, man. <laughs> it's ridiculous to me, but... Anyway, let's bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. We'll go over our bets first. Jamie, how are you, man? Not not oh, a great day, but oh, a good buddy. win for the Celtics. Not a great day for the Pats, <laughs> but are you, I'm kind of numb to it at this point, man. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going down easier at this point in the season, but... You know, he got blown out by the Saints and got blown out by the Cowboys. But this was strangely a bad loss. Like, this one was pretty ugly on the offensive side of the ball, at least. Yeah, it was bad. It was ugly. The offense was, I mean, oh, it's just so bad. Okay, so a quick update on our bottom yeah. five teams that we're looking for if we get some help in terms of getting up in the draft board. That We're recording Sunday evening, early evening, I should say. So right now, the Colts are up big on the Panthers. The Giants are losing 27 nothing to the Raiders. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> the let's see, who el- who else were we looking at? Oh, Arizona lost 27 to nothing. They're going hard at the tank. And the Bears lost 24 to 17 to the Saints. 
Okay, the Packers actually won 23. That's another bad team because Stafford was out of that game. But basically, all these teams that we were hoping, hey, maybe they would lose and help out the Patriots, none of them decided to help out the Patriots. So, hey, the Patriots did their part. They lost. Congratulations to them. But they didn't get help from anybody else out there. So we'll have to go through this again next week, Jamie. We're going to do it at the end of every week now. Who can win? Who can win? Can somebody else win? (laughs) I thought it was going to be like, hey, Carolina revenge game when you have... Frank Reich, but I mean, guys are probably like, yeah, Frank, we don't give a shit about your revenge. I mean, you're not, you're not a great coach. I mean, we just no, don't Car- really Carolina is a good pick just because, like we've talked about, they have less incentive to lose than all the other teams. But on the other hand, they do suck, so it's a tricky balance. But I think Jamie, Arizona I got- seems destined for the one seed. You know, they seem intent on that. Yeah. Now Dobbs is winning games for Minnesota. Yeah. Jamie, so how about mm. this? I just found this. You know who plays next Thursday night? Panthers, Bears. Oi. I might actually watch that just for uh, <laughs> some perverse pleasure or something. Yeah, the Panthers got to try to win that one, man. They got no incentive <laughs> to lose. Be crying. <laughs> yeah, the Panthers got to win that game, man. Hey, if they beat him, the Bears are like, "Hey, um, yeah." So we we just beat you, and your pick continues. Your pick is continues to get worse, and we have it, you idiots. And oh yeah, and Stroud wound. just won another game. At least I think he won today. another game. I had that on the red zone. What was going on in that game? Like the kicker was <laughs> kicker. out there. They had like a random guy kicking kicking field goals. Like what they, the hell he was made that? it. Yeah, so I'm making field goal today. Incredible. Incredible, man. But anyway, so <laughs> you, yeah, you guys have the uh, little tiny guy, Bryce Young, and they have CJ Stroud. So great pick. And you're going to, you're not, you don't have a chance at Caleb Williams or Drake May because you went with the tiny kid and traded away all the picks. So not looking good for the Panthers. All mm-hmm. right. So let's get to our FanDuel pick. So I had the three leg parlay for plus 550. So, two things hit. Commanders on the money line against the Patriots. Ravens on the money line. I got my regular my Washington over the Patriots on the money line pick right yep. as well. The Ravens on the money line at home against the Seahawks. That was a blowout. That was a statement from the Ravens. Seriously. The Saints, I had them to cover eight and a half against the Bears. They went 24 to 17. They don't cover. I don't win my parlay. Thanks a lot to the Saints. I they they that offense man I I don't like I know they look good against the Patriots but that's a one game I I don't understand it I'm watching this game and like I don't know maybe it's because I had over four and a half receptions for Kamara and Kamara had four in the first half he didn't have any in the second half mm-hmm. I don't understand why he's not on the field all the time he's their best offensive player yeah. I know they're like developing Alave and Michael Thomas is a nice year they're yeah, obsessed with Taysom yeah they're obsessed with Taysom Hill <laughs> I mean dude I've had enough of watching that fucking guy like. <laughs> Come on, when you're in the red zone, like, Kamara, Kamara should get the ball. And I'm not just saying this to somebody that is like, hey, wanting Kamara to do things, right? From a financial standpoint, but jeez. <laughs> Every time he's, you know, he did throw a yeah. touchdown pass today, shockingly. I think oh, he had a couple touchdowns too, but I hear you on that. Yeah, so that was rough. I did hit an anytime touchdown, the three-guy parlay for touchdowns, which is nice for me. Anytime touchdown score. That was plus 854, which was nice. Mm-hmm. So I hit on that, which you got to love that. But yeah, the the, the parlay, I thought I was going to get back That's on track. That's with a the bad parlay. beat. I'm just, yeah, I think I'm That's just going to stick to, I'm, I'm been, I've been a lot better on props than mm-hmm. sides. I got to ride the hot hand, switch up to that. Yep. That's what I've been doing, man. NBA. NBA. Yeah. That's what I've been fo- laser focused on. I had a bit more of a mixed bag this week. Obviously, the Pats, we've, we've talked enough about that, but that didn't hit. Um, hit on the Chiefs over the Dolphins, which was a very bizarre game overall. Like, if I looked at the stats, like, Mahomes had 185 yards, and Kelsey had 14 yards. 
And if you had told me that and said that the Chiefs were going to win, I would have said you were crazy. But I think the the Finns are a bit of frauds. You know, it's like Hill yeah. had his worst game of the year, and Tua just didn't do it. That fumble, dude. Yeah, that was ugly. That fumble that he had was atrocious to make it 21 to nothing. I give the Dolphins, like, at least they made the second half interesting yeah. because I'm sitting here getting ready for the Patriots game. I'm like, oh, it's nothing worse than this game being 21 to nothing. But, yeah, the, to your point about the Dolphins, I was looking at it. I tweeted this out earlier. So their mm-hmm. wins, the Chargers, the Patriots twice, who, oh, by the way, the Patriots, that team stinks. The Broncos, <laughs> yeah. who stink. Uh, bad the teams. Giants, who stink. And the Panthers. The Giants have, what, two wins? The Panthers have... One win. The Broncos, they have two or three. I think they have three now. The Patriots have two, and the Chargers are not that yeah. good either. Their losses, Bills, Eagles, Chiefs. So anytime they play a good team, they lose. No, it's, it's like stark, too, because they're not even, it's not even like they have any, they, the Chargers are the only average team they've beaten, but they're not even beating mediocre teams. They're beating, like, literally yeah. the bottom of the league. Yeah, it's crazy, man, but. Yeah. Yeah, so you covered that one. What was the that line one? on that one again? Uh, minus one and a half, Chiefs. So that one, okay. especially when it's twenty-one nothing, I was sitting pretty. But um, and then we'll see about tonight with Cincy over the Bills. But I'm I'm feeling good about that one. I'm fired up for that game, man. That's gonna be like, a great come game. Come on, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. I know I was mad the other day about the Dolphins and the Chiefs being on early, but yeah, kind of cool that like each window had like well, Something I guess to watch. Seattle and the Ravens were supposed to be that game. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm focused on the Patriots. I'm glad it wasn't a great game because I couldn't really pay attention to it. Yeah. Like, it would have stunk if it was a good game and I couldn't really watch it. Then you had this Dallas and Philly yeah, game yeah. in the 425 window, which obviously a, a hugely important game of the division. That game, as we're recording, is still going on. So I don't want to say too much on that mm-hmm. game. But And then the night game, Cincinnati versus Buffalo, man. Burrow, Burrow versus Josh Allen. Like, I'm like yeah. that's awesome. Like, so. For sure. At least it's not. What was that one we were talking about the other day where it's like they fle- they forgot to flex a game or something? I think they have like what Jets, it- Jets Raiders next Sunday night or something like that. Something atrocious. Yeah, Jets Raiders, you're right. Jesus. <laughs> Jets <laughs> Raiders. Crazy. And the Monday night is Broncos Bills. <laughs> Thursday <laughs> Panthers Bears. You have what? The Collinsworth crew, Troy Aikman crew, and then you're going to have Al Michaels who, you know, might just quit on Thursday night but based on this game. Yeah, I'm still uh, I'm still absolutely irate about uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah, was that Broncos Pats? You mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, what is it? Yes. Um, oh wait, it's yeah Sunday night Christmas Eve eight fifteen. Can we get nice. that out of not there? Nice. Yeah. Can, it's got to get moved, right? Uh, we were talking. I'm not sure they can because it's like an NFL Network game. It's not like an NBC football game. I don't think so they, they can can't flex, flex it. it? I, I mean, I don't know, but right. it's less simple than the NBC ones. I'll have to check in on that with people that know more than me. Oh, yeah. one thing I forgot about in the call because it's a great call that we got to. Mm-hmm. So Callahan actually texted me this. So I got to give Callahan credit for this. So you know that like little screen they ran to Juju and he gained like six yards or like three yards, like on nothing. third down or something, third and nine. The Falcons was a little bit of a different play, but it was the same concept. John, who took it 60 yards for a touchdown. <laughs> Don't tell me that. Yeah. Oh my God. And I actually saw it. He texted me this. I didn't see like wh- where he caught it, but I saw, I like, I looked up and it's, I had the Patriots on the top screen and them on the bottom screen and he's running into the end zone. I'm like, it's John, John was like, John is like an effective player. Who would have John thought who, it? Yeah. John who thriving for Atlanta is just the cherry on top for this season. No doubt, man. All right, Jamie, good stuff. All right, Brian, talk to you later. Okay, so just an update on the schedule this week. So we're going to record early Tuesday morning with Michael Pina. We'll get into the Celtics with him, so we'll have a full pod on Tuesday. Then 
We are back Wednesday night for a recap of the Celtics and the 76ers. Cannot wait for that. That's going to be a ton of fun. I also imagine that Doc's going to be on the broadcast for ESPN. So that could be interesting because, of course, he coached the Celtics and the Sixers. He said some stuff about Harden on Bill's pod. He said some stuff about Embiid. If you haven't heard the pod that he talks about, those guys certainly go back and listen to that one. But I think that'll be entertaining to have Doc on the call if he is. I mean, knock on wood, I hope he's on the call. I could be wrong about that. But nonetheless, if he's not on the call, it's still going to be an awesome game. So we'll do a pod after that game. And then, of course, we'll do a normal pod at the end of the week to get you ready for the Patriots game. In Germany. Can, cannot wait for that. <laughs> Only good thing about that game, Jamie, it's going to be over by like noon. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's a good thing. Well, not you for know. you. I mean, you're yeah, the early coast, morning but, for me, but yes. Yeah. It's going to be good for me. Okay. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617 396 7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.